With Father's Day right around the corner, what do you give to the man who has everything? Easy. You give him an experience he'll never forget. You give him Omaha Steaks because a world-class dad deserves a world-class steak. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face this summer with hand-selected gift packages starting at just $89. Just go to omahasteaks.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout for an additional discount when you shop gourmet gift packages for Father's Day. With Omaha Steaks, the possibilities are endless. Endless flavor, endless variety, and endless value. Truly, they have perfected more than just steak. Your dad is guaranteed to love every bite. Go to omahasteaks.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to get an exclusive savings. Shop for unforgettable gifts that are guaranteed to make dad's day. Because if there's one thing that Omaha Steaks knows, it's the dads want steak. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to save on exclusive packages starting at just $89. Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Corner. I am your, uh, I guess, kind of guest host here, Pete Ball. Welcome to the show that hates the Yankees more than any other podcast in existence. Um, I am joined by fellow Red Sox fan and normal host of the show, Nick Pollock, who I hear is a massive fan of my team, which is what today's episode is all about. So, Nick, welcome to your own show. What is happening? Actually, seriously, what is happening? Um, (laughs) This is uh, I I give the keys to Pete Ball for 10 (laughs) seconds, and this is what he does. Everyone else has been a host of this and they're like very respectful like okay what are the things i should say no p comes in and and brings the violence yeah um that's how we don't know i i am i'm a yankee fan i I don't show it a lot uh but i think over the past year i've been more open about it i try to keep myself very um i don't know know, i'm a yankee fan but like I, i i stood for chris sale when he returned i was the one applauding getting the crowd to sure. cheer at first inning in 02 count like when I was they whatever it's ridiculous <laughs> your fans got to work on it Pete um you don't know what we're doing we're doing more of our mock draft series people was part of this uh Pitcho staff mock draft there's a 12 teamer Yahoo settings five by five head-to-head categories Otani is two different players you have three outfielders two utility spots corner infield and middle infield are not here um and I think that's actually I breezed through it very quickly good job staying impressive. top of it I'm, I'm impressed with all of you listening to these. You already knew this. And we had this 12-teamer. You got the fifth spot right in front of me. Was this a spot, Pete, that you were hoping to get in this draft? It was, yeah. Um, it was my first choice. You know, I said this last year, actually, and I think I think it might have been fifth or sixth last year, but I choose it based on, like, who I have in my first tier, and I want the end of that tier. Um mm-hmm. And that's exactly how it worked out. Those first four names off the board, Ramirez, Acuna Jr., Turner, and Judge um, are my first four on the board. And then I'd loop Julio Rodriguez, J-Rod, who ended up taking into that group as well. I think you can obviously easily make a case that you know Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts, um, Bryce Harper, if he was healthy, all belong in that, that tier as well. But uh, for me, it's those five guys. And uh, I should have done the, the responsible thing and said, this is Pete Ball, everyone. Uh, you might yeah. know him from Keeper Cut. <laughs> And where can they find you on Twitter? 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm at, at Pete B baseball. Um, and like Nick said, I, I host keeper cut with Chad young, who's much smarter than I am when it comes to baseball, but I can bring the jokes and, uh, you know, we talk ought new and, and all that good stuff. Um, if you don't, if you're not familiar with ought new, I highly suggest if you're a fantasy really? baseball fan, you, you check that out. And we're not just saying that because Niv Shaw is part of the pitchless team in some way. No, really. It's, it's amazing. I, I did it with fan graphs, uh, with the fan staff league for two years. And actually I remember I, I was trying to create my own league settings for for my hometown league that I'd done for 10 years. And I realized at the end of the day, I pretty much had created the scoring system of Adenu. <laughs> and I realized, why why wouldn't I just do Adenu? So if you, have, you don't know <laughs> what that is, we actually have a really nice primer on the site um, for it. We even have a whole league that we created for people who had never played it called the Adenubes. Um, and we're just like you. And I highly recommend you check it out because it's a really, really fun way of playing fantasy baseball. And of course, then you listen to the Keeper Cut podcast on our network uh, to help you out with that. Uh, do you have a tutorial episode? You must at this point. I'm sure we did early on. Um, yeah. and, and maybe that's something we could definitely revisit. That's a good idea because, you know, we're always we're not at any shortage of content options when it comes to the off season. The off season for Keeper Cut is actually like a really important part of the year for us. Um, right. Yeah. Because keeper decisions and, and arbitration and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, that would be a great episode to either bring back if we hadn't done it before or if we have done mm-hmm. it before or to just do for the first time but yeah lots to right. learn when it comes to hot new and, and nobody better to hear it from than than chad young yeah absolutely i uh, really quickly i remember in that van graphs league my whole strategy for the arbitration was to find like the middle round guys like the the uh the guys that were just priced perfectly and i wouldn't even go for like the oh oh uh trey turner's underpriced or something like that I would say, no, no, I need a pitcher in my league. So I'm just going to give the extra $2 to this guy uh, because I want him dropped for the auction so that I can get him. <laughs> that I was entirely t- my strategy. I could tell you that Chad is vehemently against that kind of strategy. We yeah, don't need to dive yeah. into why. Not but, even. Uh, I imagine why, but I, I just thought it was really fun. I was like, I'm going to be the annoying yeah. one. I want in that my guy. League. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so back to the draft, uh, you were fifth and, uh, so you're saying that in the top five, it doesn't, you know, I, my top five players, Julio Rodriguez, uh, is inside of that. You were fifth. You happen to get Julio Rodriguez that worked out for you. We'll talk about Julio in a second, but even entering the entire draft, did you have any sort of, um, plans for yourself, how you were going to do this draft or was it just best player available every round? Yeah, no, um, Actually, strategy was the the number one thing that I wanted to talk about today um, because, cool. you know, you said this was a head-to-head categories league, and I don't think it's appreciated enough in the fan, and I'm not trying to get it on my soapbox or anything like that, but... Please do, I, though. <laughs> like, head-to-head categories, too many people treat it the same as Rhodes history. Yeah. And this is going to come rich coming from the guy who took Julio Rodriguez, who's obviously a, a source of steals, but um, I've been saying it for a long time and playing mostly head to head categories for over 15 years now. And it stolen bases. I'm not saying to punt them. They're not nearly as important. And so you right. see stolen bases pushed up and I, I look at this draft and I see Aaron judge going forth. And I feel like you're already getting ahead. If you get Aaron judge at fourth, because to me, Aaron judge should be the first player taken in this draft. We did a mm-hmm. keeper cut listener league um, on fan tracks. That was also head to head categories. And I promise I'm not just bringing it up because I won that league. But my strategy Did you win that league, Pete. I, oh, by the way, yes, I did. Did I mention that? <laughs> um, but my strategy, and I was very open about it, was I, I, I want power hitters. I want runs, RBI, home runs. 
Uh, and I want to feel good about that every week. And so three of my first four picks were Vlad Jr., Pete Alonzo, and Aaron Judge. And those three ran the table for me that year. And I, I ended up okay in stolen bases because a couple of those guys surprised, right? Vlad stole a few bases. Judge stole a ton of bases for him. Um, but it, it was irrelevant. You know, I could have punted that category right. and still won because it does not matter as much in this format. And I think we're so conditioned to use rotisserie rankings and NFBC and and just be so alert of, of stolen bases and saves, which is another one that we kind of lose sight of how you win. Um, and it's just it's not I, as important in this format. I couldn't agree more. Um, the way I see it is 67 percent, 33 percent. If you give yourself uh, you know, two to one, essentially, that still is a 33 percent chance that you win stolen bases every week. It's not like you're completely punting it. Right. Um, and they're not as. You know, you get like four stolen bases in a week versus their five or something. Uh, it's not nearly as important as getting, no, I have 30 RBI this week. You're definitively ahead of, of the other player that is more consistent um, in a week to week. So, I mean, I'm with you. And also the fact that the rule changes, I think, give a lesser importance of stolen bases as well. Because you, you're going to find more from the low to middle guys than you normally do. At least that's, the, I think, the consensus thinking at the moment, which makes sense to me. So, I mean, I'm someone who I thought that and then I got like four stolen base guys in my first six picks. And I'm like, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> or first seven. But uh, Julio Rodriguez, I will say, I mean, 25, 25 season essentially this year. 20, I was 28, 25, 284 average, 84 runs, 75 RBI. And he did so in just 132 games, 561 plate appearances. And you see this as just this is who Julio Rodriguez is. If anything, he's just going to get better from here. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how much there is to really say. I mean, it, the guy does everything all the way up through the playoffs. I mean, obviously, they had a tough ending there. But, um, you know, an analyst I listened to a lot, Scott White over at CBS before the season was not facetiously or or trying to be super dramatic, comparing him to Alex Rodriguez. Now, I'm not going that far, but if there's any concern that like, all right, well, he had a good rookie season. Let's see what he does in year two like that. This is not that kind of player. Uh, this sure. guy is on the scene. He's a stud. Um, the stack cast data would certainly back it up. And although we didn't know this going into the draft, he now has a little bit more protection in that lineup to Oscar Hernandez. Um, I I don't know how much protection it is when you strike out that much, as much as to Oscar does, but it's better than what they were rolling out there before. Um, And and so that could definitely see a plate appearance and counting categories boost for Julio. Absolutely. Uh, So second round comes and I think uh, now, I don't know how you feel about this one, but it's Mm. Bryce Harper who... When you took Bryce Harper, I said, oh, yeah, right. Bryce Harper. <laughs> so did I. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, obviously the injury uh, and the lower amount of play appearances um, pushed him down many rankings that we were using to to understand any sort of ADP. Because you have to understand, everybody, we're doing this mock draft. We have no frame of reference whatsoever. We're just on our own to figure out who we want to do. Uh, we're we're talking 18 home runs, 11 stolen bases, 286 average in just 99 games. Seems like, hey, he was Bryce Harper. But now, of course, he has the UCL injury that he's going to have surgery on. We don't know what kind of surgery at the moment. We have to expect missed playing time. Is this something that, in retrospect, now you're thinking, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have taken the risk on Harper? Yeah, Um I, I definitely wouldn't have taken him here if I knew that uh, he was likely going to have surgery on that elbow. Maybe I should have paid more attention to that because, I mean, it was pretty clear that he needed something done. And that's why he DH so much last year that 
I actually don't think he would have outfield eligibility to start the season. Um, regardless, though, in again, it comes back down to format, right? Like in a roto league, you just you just lost those numbers. That's it. It's done. But right. in a head-to-head league, if I can stay afloat until June, well, Price was great with this injury, so I kind of expect him to be pretty awesome when he gets back. And if I'm still in contention when he comes back, and, and what's probably, I don't know, the early people are saying June, but like you said, we don't know what kind of surgery it is yet, then uh, that's a pretty big boost to my lineup, and and we're just going to keep it rolling. So it is a little bit format-dependent looking at it, though. Maybe I would have rather just taken Altuve, gotten second base out of the way, um, a couple other names there but seeing how much pitching fell i don't know i'm, I'm actually all, all, all up until this point i think it's worth saying everyone drafted so far and this is the fifth to last pick in the second round every player taken has been a hitter so it is a little bit of like make sure you get your bats and i guess i'd be okay with it yeah oh, i was so upset to see that you know me i just want to i only want to get hit hitters and to see everyone doing the same so, yeah wait no i'm supposed to be able to get paul goldschmidt <laughs> in the third round i uh, Come on, let me do that. Yeah, I mean, I think Bryce Harper is going to fall to the, I don't know, the 8th, ninth in your 12-teamers now. Uh, there's going to be more talk about it in March, but this is what happens. You see the injury tag in your draft lobby in Yahoo, and everyone just avoids it. Yep. You know, like the plague, they just avoid it. And I totally understand it. You're making an interesting point, I think, about head-to-head league, saying, look, when he comes back in June, July, that... You know, that's full strength, essentially, for FC. You, you don't have to, like, you don't get half of him at that point. And in head-to-head, that matters a lot more. Playoff time, September, you get all of Bryce Harper. It's not like rotisserie where you get 60% uh, of right. him. You get full strength at this point. That matters a lot. Um, it sounds really weird how I'm saying that, but I think you guys understand my point. Um, so let's say you don't go Harper. Uh, who would you go instead? Was it Would it be Altuve because of the second base position? Uh, Altuve or Goldschmidt. Um, mm-hmm. you know, first base, it, I think first base gives the facade of being deep, but it's not as deep as we think it is because the top is, is so much better. Those first oh, four dare guys. It. What a mischievous position. <laughs> There's a lot like that. Um, yeah, I'd say Goldschmidt or Altuve, uh, or honestly, okay. I, I might've started the trend of starting pitchers and just taken, um, Alcantara Burns or Cole, but I, I okay. apparently I didn't gonna, need to. I was going to say, yeah, right. Uh, Cur- uh, uh, Cole or Burns. I was, I was curious who you were going to say. I mean, I think Corbin Burns. Most of the time is going to go first. Uh, but yeah, there's Sandy Alcantara. I almost got him myself and I was surprised. And then, of course, you took him like, man, if I can get Sandy Alcantara in the third round every time, I would. Right. Nice pick, buddy. Thanks. Yeah, that was. That felt like a layup. Um, I love getting starting pitchers who win Cy Youngs, but <laughs> jokes aside, <laughs> I, <laughs> like ones who have such a reliable skill set um, as Alcantara, you know, keeping the ball on the ground. I, I don't I don't ever expect, you know, him to lose everything like Giolito did because he's given up a million fly balls. He keeps it on the ground. That'll give him a pretty safe floor. Um, inter- and I think he established pretty clearly the last two seasons that he's a bona fide ace. So to get him in the third to pair with Bryce and Julio, I was feeling pretty good. Yeah, I really loved getting Rick Purcell the year after he won his Cy Young. Uh, no. um, <laughs> Sandy Alcantara, you guys know how much I adore him. Uh, 228 ERA. Most innings in the majors at 229. Second is Aaron Nola, with, and he was under 210. Uh, 0.98 whip for Alcantara. What he does is he throws a really hard changeup, really hard slider, and then his fastballs are just so hard to hit. Uh, it's it's really amazing. His sinker, he jams inside to batters all the time, 33% O swing on it. 
His four seamer comes in at 98 miles per hour, and that changeup has a 19% hard contact rate, limited batters to just a 150 average. While the slider uh, just was an all-around strike getter, 67%, strike rate, 33% CSW. I am a little worried about the the hard contact on both the four-seamer and the sinker, 30% each, which is a little startling, but it's always in the ground, uh, at least for the sinker. The four-seamer was more of a fly ball pitch. That's where I think the most damage happened to him when that pitch leaked out over the plate, and there is still command stuff to get worried about with Alcantara. That said, he can roll through games uh, based on just, hey, here's 100 miles per hour, do something with it. And forces the batter to do, you know, put the ball in play and actually uh, get hits with it, which is just so hard with what he throws. So he's a workhorse. You don't expect 230 innings, but he should go 200 again. And everyone worried about the wins. They had nine wins last year, 14 this year um, for the Marlins, who hopefully will get better. Then again, Jeter left, so probably not. Um, and don't worry about <laughs> the addition uh, by subtraction. <laughs> well, no, more of like he did. He left because they didn't want to get better. Sure. Um, they weren't going to do the things. Uh, you see it that way because you're a Red Sox fan. <laughs> I see that as a guy who understands that success won't happen and gets out. And that's a smart man. You see the 23% K rate. And you think, oh, he's not going to get strikeouts. He had 207 because right. he threw 229 innings. So don't really let that be a detractor for you. Sandy Alcantara is one of the safest pitchers, I think, um, given the workload, which is why he's my number three. So good stuff. I I don't want to give you silver approval because it's the first half of the third round. <laughs> but I don't think a lot of you guys are going to be able to get Sandy Alcantara at this spot. Um, Definitely not go- as the fifth pitcher off the board, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I mean, this was the sixth even. Uh, oh, is it? You have, yeah, oh, you yeah. had uh, yep. Scherzer to Grau McClanahan earlier in the round. Yeah, I Ozzy Albies in the fourth, and I saw you take Ozzy Albies. I was like, ah, I should have taken him instead of Marcus Semien. Uh, but I think we both have the same idea of second base is pretty thin. And uh, I did actually want to ask you before: Amuki Betts is the second baseman in this league. Would you consider him inside of that top five that you were mentioning before? Yeah, knowing that, um, I would definitely put him in that in that tier um, because of this position. I've actually, right. I don't know if I've ever rostered Ozzy Albies before, which mm. maybe would suggest I'm, I'm not great at fantasy baseball because he's had I a pretty good this, career. I did this year. So, you know. Okay. All right. Yeah, fair. Um, <laughs> but that, out of your control, right? Um, I always have a hard time with guys who are better fantasy players than they are real life players, which is completely irrational. Um, and I, I'm not firing shots here, Braves fans, but Ozzy Albies is definitively a better fantasy player than actual baseball player. Sure. Um, you know, uh, his WRC plus over the last few seasons is nothing to write home about. Um, I, there was a concern I was listening to, this was, this was a while ago, um, rates and barrels on the athletic. Um, and they were talking about Ozzy Albies and, and bringing up the concern of where he bats in the order, because so much of Albies value, right. is tied to his volume. Sure. But with Michael Harris Jr. now in the picture and Acuna's back and healthy and they've got Matt Olson, like that top three in the lineup might be pretty cemented if that bumps Albies down and you know his his splits are have never been great, right? He's always been a guy who struggles against uh, God, Albies switcher. He struggles against, I want to say lefties, right? I, I want to make sure I get that you're right. You're asking you're asking the pitching guy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, I will <laughs> I'm gonna pull that up right now. Um Ozzy Albi's career versus a righty is uh career versus righty as a lefty is a two fifty average, but his career versus a lefty as a righty is three twenty eight. There you um, go. 
Yeah. So like those kinds of things can begin to to crop up. He, he told what was the the injury last year? I want to say it was a foot injury. Yes. Um, that could certainly impact his speed. So it's not a great pick, um, but it's about the position, right? I mean, second base is is a disaster. It's it's almost as bad as like catcher for crying out loud if you wait too long. So um, to get that out of the way with a player who's got the history of Aussie Albies and he's still super young, he could get better, right? Um, I felt pretty good about that. Yeah, it's it's really a product of the position, as you said. Um, really good point that you made, um, quoting rates and barrels about uh, Ozzy Albee's lineup spot. And if he does fall in that order, uh, maybe he's may turn into something to try and target Trevor Story later. How do you feel about him in this position? I think it was just a, a tough year. Uh, I, I'm so the core's narrative drives me crazy. Like, can we finally put that to bed after Nolan Arenado had a WRC plus over 150 for St. Louis yeah, this exactly. year? Exactly. Thank you. Um, and, and DJ LeMay, who has had a better career with the Yankees. Like, I, right. the, forget. It's just about, about getting just. It's just about playing consistently in one place and getting familiar with that. Yeah, and and add on to that that story wasn't traded to the Reds. Like he signed a monster contract, and the whole team was disappointing, and they were kind of a, a dumpster yeah. fire. So I want to see Story get a fresh start. Um, I think the tools are still there, uh, and I think he might not be ever be a first or second round value again. But waiting for him and getting him. Where did he go at the end of the fifth round? The end of the fifth round. And I was even thinking fourth round. I, I was debating between him, Semyon, and Semyon. I completely forgot about Albies again. The injury stuff has thrown me off. Uh, look at you with Harper and Albies sneaking them both in. Um, <laughs> Jazz didn't thought, fit into that for you? Jazz, yeah, injured. <laughs> uh, off my radar, right? Because I just yep. wasn't, it, it wasn't there at the moment. Jazz to me is more risky than I think Trevor's story. I agree. Uh, I think we still don't really know what to expect with story. I feel like it's more like, okay, we, I think we know that he's going to be like a 250 hitter with 20 plus home runs and hint at 20 stolen bases and hopefully good counting stats inside of the Red Sox lineup. Right. And that's actually, that's really good for second base. Um, I gave praise to Adam Howe for that one. Um, so, I mean, that, those are the ones for me. And, and really after that, it's, Gunnar Henderson, Andres Jimenez is what I'm seeing. And oh, it's just not something you want to lean on. Yeah, so the position really falls So pick off. your spot here and just get the one that you like um, before the end of the fifth round. Um, so you went Albies. That's cool. Uh, no no qualms with that one whatsoever. Um, Alex Bregman was your next one in the fifth round. And we'll talk about him after this break. So the fifth round comes. It's Alex Bregman. Uh, tell me about Bregman here. Yeah, uh, so I, th- I would say this is my first real reach of the draft. Um, I've been kind of letting the draft come to me and, and taking players who are close to the top there, obviously, with those last few picks. But um, And by the way, uh, like you said at the beginning, the pre-rankings are from last year. So what I mean by by the top is like who is available at the top on my board, not just you know right. taking yeah, J.D. Cl- Martinez or something. We're so. using Clicky Draft, who hasn't updated for 2022 yet, but they have a lovely board that everyone can visualize, and I, I love yeah. using it. Oh, super useful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but their rankings are from last year, so it's really funny seeing our faults of It really makes you think, though. Yeah. It really puts you in it. Cause I, <laughs> and actually, this pick like was the one that was really driving me crazy because I was looking at what was going to happen to third base if I let Bregman go by, and it's ugly. I, I hate to keep bringing up position scarcity, especially so early it's, in a draft. No, but it's very important. Right. It really, And I think it's going to be more important this year than it's been in quite some time because mm. a few of these positions are just dumpster fires. Um, and I think Bregman is pretty clearly not as good as he was in 2019, right? When we saw the 40 homer season, I think it was 2019. He's not a 40 home run hitter, but he's still in Houston and he still pulls the ball and he still hits it in the air. And and it, that's still going to be there for him. 
And I think he was clearly playing hurt. And we saw him bounce back in the playoffs. He says he feels healthy now, though I think he what broke his finger in the clinching. Oh, yeah, game the there. very last game. Yeah, sliding yeah. into second. Yep. But he'll Hell, presumably be fine. Um, right. So, and that was before, obviously, we, we had this draft anyway. That wouldn't have changed anything. I don't even mean to spend even any more time on that. But uh, <laughs> to lock up third base with a player who should be in his prime right now, plays in a great lineup and has performed at a high level in fantasy before, I felt pretty good about locking up that position. And now I've got I've got my ace. I've got two studs in the outfield, and I've got second base and third base taken care of. So I was actually feeling pretty good despite the reach. Sure. Uh, were you, I mean, I remember I asked at the top about how you approach this head to head league. Stolen base is not really a major thing. Same with saves uh, to a lesser degree. Uh, was there anything else that you were saying, okay, this is how I strategize it with pitching at this time, hitting at this time, certain positions? Uh, well, it was more reacting to the draft than going in with a plan in regards to mm-hmm. positions. Um, you know, if, if certain guys fall to me, I'm not going to care, especially this early in the draft, I'm not going to care about the position, right? Like I was just talking about the, um, the fan tracks one from, uh, for keeper cut that we did last year. And I had no problem spending two of my first four picks on Pete Alonzo and Vlad Guerrero Jr. Because I'm not going to pass that talent up. Right. Um, so not so much, but if it's between you know a second baseman and a and a first baseman who I view kind of similarly, I'm going to probably go with the second baseman because the position is is scarce. Sure. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's go to the sixth round. Ah, yes, another pitcher. Thankfully, <laughs> um, it's Kevin Gosman. And something I've been saying a lot about this uh, this upcoming draft in 2023 is how there are a lot of quality starters uh, through the first 2025, 20, maybe even 30. Uh, um, starters and getting caught Kevin Gosman the sixth round I mean I think it, it normally you would be fourth round or so uh, but there are just so many excellent to choose excellent ones to choose from that you're going after a guy who has one of the best K minus walks in the majors um, at just 24 percent which is insane is uh, on a winning ball club had 12 wins last year 175 innings 335 ERA the biggest question of course is the whip at 124 but that was a 9.7 hit per nine. The the Babbitt, which I'm sure you're going to mention, 364 was essentially historic with how bad it was. You have to expect better there. And then all of a sudden you're left with an SP1, essentially, that you got in the sixth round. Yeah, I mean, only 10 pitchers in, in baseball finish with over 200 strikeouts. And to me, this would matter more for, for a rotisserie league. But Gossman was one of those 10. Um, and, and to get him this late, this was another kind of example of just letting the draft kind of come to me here. Um, where I, I didn't know what I was going to do with this pick. I only had Alcantara in my rotation, and to see a pitcher like Gossman still available after a little run in starting pitching, I felt pretty good about that. You know, you bring up the BABIP, and, um, you know, how much is it going to matter now that um, Alejandro Kirk is going to be able to DH more? Not that he was necessarily bad behind the plate, but that means now we have Teoscar, who's not that great of a fielder, out of the outfield, you know, little things like that. Um, less balls will be be dropping. At the same time, you know, no shift is that going to impact pitchers' BABIP at all? I'm sure it will as a whole, but that's going to affect everybody, not just not just Kevin Gosman. So, um, I don't really have much to add on the on the the BABIP other than yeah, it's weird. Um, but Kevin Gosman, we view as an ace. He performed like one anyway. So even if the the I don't I don't think I guess what I'm trying to say is there's going to be a correlation between. I don't I don't expect to see his BABIP go way down and all of a sudden his numbers become even better. I think he just performed well. Um, and I don't know how much of this pick was because uh, the first two or three times this dude faced the Red Sox last year, it was like, it was like God. Like, I, I, I don't even know how to, <laughs> like, it was, 
they couldn't just, come just close. Overwhelmed. Yeah, they should have gone to the to the plate with like fly swatters. They had no chance. Yeah, these were uh, two straight games of 14 innings. One, uh, two earned runs allowed. Actually, one earned run, two runs, uh, with a total of 17 strikeouts in those yeah. games. He was nasty. It was, uh, it was pretty rough uh, on the 21st and 26th of the season. Uh, I will mention about Gosman, the splitter we all know is phenomenal. 53% O-swing last year is astronomically high. In general, a splitter will have a 35% O-swing. Sure. 53% is just, it's one of the better pitches in baseball because a 27% swing strike rate is insane. Also, to have a lot of strikes on it, 65%. So I talk about you have to have two pitches. If you're a two pitch pitcher, which he essentially is, he has a slider that he tries to get strikes with, but it's just a 54% rate and uh, he doesn't do it consistent enough. He needs to get in the zone more, um, if you ask me. I, but I, the four seamer and splitter. If you have a two-pitch guy, then you have to have two excellent offerings. And his four-seamer, I think, this year got too much of the plate. Uh, we normally see 70% strike rate for a fastball is like, okay, that's the one. That's great. That's all you need. He had a 79% strike rate with his four-seamer. And I think that got guys too comfortable because he allowed a 395 BABIP on the pitch as opposed to the 291 in the previous season. Thus... 39% hard contact, while over the last five years, it's been 31%. So I think there's an adjustment to be made from Gosman. It's kind of weird for me to say I want him to throw fewer strikes, but I want him to throw fewer strikes with his four-seamer, just a little bit, just to get guys out of their shoes just a touch so that he's not allowing as much hard contact as he has been. But if he does now, do that, you think, I mean, Do you yeah? think that's an organizational thing? I mean, coming from the Giants, it was way down. Now he's in Toronto his first year there, and you think they're having him? throw it in the zone. Uh, I don't, I honestly don't know. Um, it could just be like, all right, I'm just going to do this. <laughs> and this, this is how it is. Uh, maybe he's lying more hits and then he's in more jams. He doesn't want to walk guys from that. I don't know. Mm. Um, but I think it's something that he can influence. Uh, but the splitter, I mean, he's still just so good. And it's Babbitt went up too, from 226 to 313, despite wow. it being, I think the best that it's seen. So it's not just, the fastball, I think all around it was Toronto as well. Uh, but there is something that he can do about, hey, don't don't have that high of a, of a strike rate, please. I mean, yes, you get more O swing, which is good. Uh, but 64% zone rate, I don't think you need to do that on a fastball. That's absurdly high mm-hmm. for a fastball. That's Think of it this way. You know, strike rate, right? You know, say, hey, I want you to have like a 67% strike rate on your fastball. The fact that he has a 64% zone rate. Like anything that is out of the zone at that point, <laughs> you yeah. know, plus that, right? I mean, you don't need to have 64%, but um, Gosman, I think, should be better. And that's all that really matters. And you made a great point about 200 plus strikeouts for Gosman, 175 innings. That could go up. Yeah. That matters in a head to head league. Like you just, it's not K percentage in your head to head league, it's strikeout total. And uh, Gosman gets those. So I like it sixth round. I mean, other guys, you Darvish was here, Blake Snell. Christian Javier, Clint Kershaw, Tyler Glasnow, Severino. Gosman, to me, was far and away uh, the best one available. Um, so, I mean, this is the thing. I was telling everybody in another podcast, I love what you're doing. Of It's the first six rounds, and the only reason you took pitchers were because they were steals at their point. And then, yeah, I really, I was like, oh, man, I really like this draft. You, you actually <laughs> kind of convinced me against the Ozzy Albies pick, but uh, just for what you're saying. But I... That's your fault. 
And of course, the heart news <laughs> and everything with the surgery. But still, the approach of this, I think, is really nice. Like get the five or six and then try and maybe steal an absolute stud in the third round pitcher, then get someone like Gosman in the sixth. I think that's really good. There's, just, there's more pitching that there's way more pitching than there's been the last few years in fantasy. Like right. everybody remember, like 10 years ago, it was it was this right. Like, I mean, it, there were there was more pitching available. But then all of a sudden with the juice balls and everything, finding those reliable starters, they started getting pushed up like the idea of multiple pitchers going in the first round of drafts was so foreign to me when that started happening mm-hmm. right like when i first started playing johan santana went in the first and then you didn't see another starting pitcher really until like the end of the second round sure. um but now they're they're way pushed up and i, I think we're going to start seeing that go back down um, i remember there's taking so many good arms brandon webb i think in 2008 my first pick i just classic yeah I, I, it was a terrible fantasy pick but it was <laughs> i just really liked brandon webb in 2008 there? Singer guy. He, he was, was a great pitcher for a short amount of time. Uh, that's and yeah, no strikeouts there. I got four oh, innings no. from him that year. Uh, <laughs> I bet there were good four innings though. It was the it was the best. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> um, but anyway, so seventh round comes and you're like, hey, don't get closers. Um, here's Edwin Diaz. <laughs> but it's the yeah. seventh round, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And that's definitely early for me. And and you'll see not too far later, I ended up taking another closer. Um oh, I know. which which is for, honestly for me in a, in a head-to-head league, like I said at the beginning, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Um, but again, just kind of letting the draft come to me. Uh, I, I'm perfectly fine in a head-to-head categories league punting saves or stolen bases. I would never suggest punting both. Sure. I ended up punting neither um, because I, I got Julio early. I got Albies if he decides to run this year. And I, I've got Diaz now as my closer. He's just so good last year. Um, and I, I feel much better about it now, now that he's going back to the Mets, you know, being familiar with, with where he is, where he's had a lot of success before. Um, and it, you know, a, a closer run could have started. And then how I end up like, do I even take a closer? Because this is a category I don't feel too passionately about. So I kind of saved myself from falling into some bad decisions uh, by just yeah. locking up Diaz early. I didn't feel too great about the hitters available anyway. Man, I, I have some fun things for you. Okay. Uh, Edwin Diaz. Ranked first in the majors in strikeout rate at 50.2%. Jesus. I mean, the swinging strike rate overall, swinging strike rate was 26% first in the majors. <laughs> X ERA of 1.6, which is first in the majors. This is among all relievers. Uh, 15% hard contact allowed is fifth, is fifth in the majors. His slider had a 16% hard contact rate. 32% swing strike rate increased his usage by 20 points from 38% to 58%. That's wild. 50% sliders, right? Uh, from Edwin Diaz. So then I think this helped his fastball so much because he used to throw 62% of the time. Now it's 42. And what did that do? Well, it's CSW went from 27 to 40. <laughs> it's hard contact went down from 16 to 13. And he just dominated his, his swing striker went up six points on the pitch from 12 to 18 as he threw it at 99 miles per hour 99.1 the hardest he's ever thrown edwin diaz is great <laughs> and guess what his babbit button his fastball was 469 he got unlucky <laughs> oh man um yeah i mean look seventh round of this i mean i honestly i'm gonna tell you right now your seventh round and your tenth round are both seals of approvals because you won't get them at this point, I think I think especially earlier on, either you jump so high for a closer because we have no and nothing, 
or everyone just kind of says, I don't really want to deal with it now because it's going to be completely different in the March in March right. drafts as a collective. Uh, we all waited too long on on saves. And that meant that guys like you could take two of the best closers in the seventh and tenth round, which honestly, in a head to head league, I kind of love doing that. Oh, yeah. I absolutely, you know, right in these middle rounds, if you're in a good position to do so, to take two stud closers and just be done for the year. That's it. You got the two. These are also going to help in, in strikeouts as well. Edwin Diaz last year might surprise you with that 50% strikeout rate. They had 118 strikeouts. Don't forget that. That's a that's a huge deal. Especially in a, a week-to-week basis where, like, you know, we, we can cite Sandy and Gosman's strikeout total. But if if they only average so many strikeouts per week, that needs to be supplemented by some players. And locking it up with guys who have the rates that Diaz and Hater, well, Hater's rates weren't great, but that we expect them to have. And then, you know, you add in like basically what's going to amount to five and a half to six strikeouts a week in addition to right. what you're already getting. It makes it easier to take players like Alcantara, take players like Framber Valdez, who I also drafted, because I'm going to get those strikeouts just in a way that's a little bit unconventional. And something to really think about is if you take Max Fried, for example, who is not the highest strikeout guy, but you love him because of the wins and the ERA and the whip then you might be more inclined to jump for Edwin Diaz, right? Maybe in a round earlier or so, because then you get that strikeout supplement you don't necessarily need if you've gotten, uh, say, Dylan Cease or uh, Spencer Strider or whatever, right? Uh, it's it's something to think about with it, and I think I'm leaning more to it. Then again, I just, I know Rick Graham, though, <laughs> and Greg <laughs> Jewett, and they're amazing at what they do with their closer stuff, and uh, I'm like, ah, I'll just go and get another stud pitcher instead. Why would I do this? But no, I really like this. You get a seal of approval, seventh round Edwin Diaz. If you can get that in March every single time you should. You took Edwin Diaz, and I remember going, yeah, I probably I probably would have done that. And, and I was like, all right, final take Stalling Marte. Because then I was like, I don't know who the next best one is, and I'm, I'm skipping it now. So uh, I love that one. Eighth round, you decide I need a catcher. And you were saying before that it's not as deep as people think or you don't want to be stuck without a catcher. So you went with Alejandro Kirk. Why did you spring for him in the eighth? Sure. Uh, Well, part of it is the Chad Young effect. Chad has been all in on (laughs) Alejandro Kirk for a long time now. So to give him credit for that, he he said he thinks Alejandro Kirk is a better hitter than Adley Rushman. Um, Oh, dear. He he can he can back it up. I mean, you know, and and it's hard to depend on what your evaluation of a hitter is but you know it's easy to say that's not the case but Alejandro Kirk is pretty damn good um and that plate discipline not that it really matters all that much for for head-to-head categories five by five but it's it's impressive you know his his walk rate's higher than his strikeout rate well, it, it's like a little leaguer like that's absurd <laughs> it's absurd um so you you add in the fact that when he does make contact it is usually pretty hard I mean I love players like that I love filtering to see all right, who doesn't strike out? And that so you have to pitch to them. And when you pitch to them, when they put the bat on the ball, it's going to be hard, right? I mean, right. it's kind of foolproof. And Alejandro Kirk fits that bill. If I knew that, maybe if we knew that Teoscar Hernandez is going to be traded, we would have bumped up Alejandro Kirk a round or two. I do kind of view him as a top three catcher, top four catcher. Um, and and I, I have an issue with taking catchers who are over thirty, right? I if I treated Real Muto that way last year, I, I missed out. But I'm okay with missing out on on catchers who have great seasons after 30 because I just don't think it's sustainable. 
Kirk is obviously incredibly young, 24 years old, great lineup, um, and has now already put forward a, a 541 plate appearance season of basically elite production from that position. Um, maybe not, maybe not elite, but really strong production from that position that I expect to get better. Yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying. 285 average this past year. Uh, it's a good lineup that he's in 139 games, five, uh, 41 plate appearances. I get it. I, I really do. Um, a guy walking so much in a five by five, isn't necessarily the best thing. Right. Um, because you're preventing hits essentially. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to get a grasp of his value above other guys that are going 10 rounds later or so and how much of an impact he does make. If there really is 20 to 25 home run potential here, is there, um, is it 150 runs plus RBI potential? Is that average? I mean, the average, I think, is the one thing you're going for for the most part with this. And he's not hurting you in the other three card accounting, right? So, yeah, it's it's fine. I, I'm cool with it. I mean, I hate mine. Don't let's just not talk about the one I went for. Um, <laughs> I, I already talked to fast about that. Um, but it's I think in this position, if I'm not getting if I'm not getting Adley or JT or Will Smith, I think I'm just punting completely until the the 17th round maybe if if kirk comes down to the 10th or 11th but i think i there are too many good guys i think that just do more like nestor cortez is hmm, that's uh it's so helpful to have at this point in my view um stanton you could say i mean that's so you want to talk about production uh stanton's gonna do a ton for you there uh, i i don't know if kirk does enough yeah, no, the, the Stanton point is definitely fair. I'm less enthused by Nestor and just how pitching had gone at that point. Honestly, I, I was probably, cons- I don't remember, but I was probably considering um, Framber Valdez at that point, and I ended up sure, getting him yeah. in the next round. Um, I, I've i gone back and forth in the punting catcher situation because like, I, I used to be firmly in that camp because you had your your three or four guys that were all elite. And then it was like, okay, you know, throw a dart and see if you land on the guy who hits 240 with 20 home runs, right? Right. I, I just having a few seasons now of having good catchers, it, it's nice, man. Like it's it's a really sure. nice thing to have, um, and it's not as easy as finding like people say, oh, you know, just drop and add the hot bat. Can you please show me the hot catcher bats <laughs> on free agency? Like, can please yeah. point those out? Sure. So. having the say i think kirk has a floor and clearly that was a theme with this team is safe floors and so pulled the trigger but i yeah that's if i could redo it stanton is clearly a better pick there but that's a really good point saying like look i got my catcher and i'm done and that that's kind of what i was hoping for with cal rally but i mean i don't know if i believe that (laughs) anymore man that dude hit some clutch bombs i was hoping that like his second half was like hey he's ascending now and he's (laughs) he's not mike zunino stop talking like that um, <laughs> he's literally Mike Zunino, though. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, he is. Um, Framber Valdez was your next one. I've been more negative um, than most, I think, about Framber Valdez. The biggest thing against him is the 116 whip that I don't really see getting much better. Um, but 201 innings this year is a huge deal. And guess what? That's 194 strikeouts. Um, that's a huge deal. He does prevent the home run just by having a 70% ground ball rate, which means he has a 282 ERA and has a good defense behind him. 
I may be raising him up because of the floor, but what do you see in Framber Valdez? Do you actually think that he can do more with that whip and maybe I'm overvaluing it? Um, do more with it? I, I, I don't know. What I can say is if you filter the leaderboards for eligible starting pitchers and you brought up the ground ball rate and filter it for ground ball rate, Framber Valdez led baseball, right, with a 66.5% ground ball rate. The next closest is a, is almost an entire 10 percentage points lower, and that's Logan Webb. So it's almost a disservice to call Framber Valdez a ground ball pitcher. He is a, a, a ground ball god. Like, <laughs> the ball is not going in the air against Framber Valdez. Right. And then you think about Houston's infield. It's a pretty good infield, right? And, and, and they have some, some things they're going to have to address over at first base. But I, I feel pretty good about that situation. And so if you're a ground ball pitcher, you're going to have a... a, a typically generate a higher Babbitt. That's that's a potential reality for him. But it, if those guys that get on base are not scoring because he keeps the ball on the ground so much, then I do think, again, it's it's a really safe floor kind of player. The strikeouts aren't going to be pretty, um, you know, but he should reel in the wins like he did this most recent season, keep the ball on the ground. I'm I'm in on Framberville does, especially here. I feel pretty, him as my number three starting pitcher and, and supplemented by what's going to be Diaz and Hayter to make up for the K's. I feel okay with that. Yeah, Framber is in this tier for me with Logan Gilbert, Logan Webb, Chris Bassett, George Kirby, and Lance Lynn because they're all really good floor pitchers um, that are not destroying your or not really achieving in the strikeout way. Lance Lynn actually is one above um, because he can have that lower whip. And that's the biggest thing about Valdez. Don't overrate that. Um, don't underrate the, the importance of whip. I... Everyone, not you, Pete. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, like George Kirby, for example, is going to have a lower whip next year um, than Framber Valdez. So then the question comes, okay, win totals kind of similar? I mean, I'm going to give the nod to Framber because he should, you know, you just threw 200 innings. You have higher expectation with that. Um, strikeout rate, I don't know. Uh, I, th- I think there's more potential to rise with George Kirby than Framber Valdez. I would agree with he- that. ERA, I think Valdez has the better hold on though because it's he's just limiting home runs essentially. So that that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. You're going to get more volume, expectantly so, from Valdez. So that that's a good argument for Valdez above. It's a little bit safer. There is a, theoretically a lower floor from Kirby because it's less experience. At the same time, the whip could go back up to 120 for Framber. So I I, I don't know where I, I stand with this. I mean. I kind of want to raise like Valdez and Kirby um, and maybe Logan Webb higher than Gilbert and Bassett and remove it from the tier so that like Kyle Wright goes underneath. Robbie Ray might go underneath, but there's a, there's this big mold of, Hey, there's some legitimate ceiling guys here, but Framber's a lot safer. So whatever you want to do, go ahead. <laughs> uh, in general, I say take the safer one. But, uh, but like, it's not like Robbie Ray's going to have the most destructive season. So well, a lot of it, it has hard. to do with it has to do with either what you've already done with your draft or what you want to do with your draft, right? Um, now I had already, like we said a thousand times now, taken a lot of safe picks at this point. But I knew there were some darts that I maybe wanted to throw later. At least there were going to be players available that I would want to throw darts at. And if I took a more risky pitcher for my third starter. Now, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, man, I see a lot of ways this completely falls apart. Sure. But if you're drafting, 
and you get a start of, you know, Alcantara, Gosman, and Valdez. Well, now you're in the driver's seat to take Chris Sale or to to take Tyler Glasnow, not that he's ever going to go that late anyway, um, or your Lodolos, your Greens, or whatever pitchers are going later that are maybe viewed as a little bit more risky. Edward Cabrera is one I like a lot. I'm more likely to gamble on those guys because my rotation already has that safe floor. Whereas if well, I started my draft with DeGrom or something, I'm not going to take uh, a, a risky pitcher here. I'm going to, yeah. yeah. Well, you didn't take Cabrera, so I don't know how much you like him. I'll, I'll just <laughs> put it out there. Uh, I just had so many pitchers at that point. You had five. You no. Yeah. Wait. When, when did Edward Cabrera go? Oh, yeah. Okay. He did kind of. He went it way earlier than. Uh, yeah. Fair than enough. I was going to expect. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it also depends on your league. If you're in a more of a quality start, one from Valdez should go up higher. I uh, in general, my my whole thing is three or four that you trust through the year. All of these, I don't expect to drop at any point. Mm-hmm. I can make a case for Hunter Green. Um, that you might want to drop him at some point. I can make a case for. Uh, Hunter Green, <laughs> but I, uh, but yeah. So let's move on to your tenth round pick. This is Josh Hader. We all know this is not where he's going to go. You get a seal of approval just because this is insane. You got Diaz and Hader seventh and tenth rounds. You didn't have to um, overspend, in my view, to get them. Uh, but talk about Hader quickly. Yeah, look, I, I he went through that incredibly brutal stretch um, after getting traded, and so did Milwaukee's uh, bullpen there for a while. I think that was a, kind of a out of nowhere, even though Hader had been rumored in trades for a very long time. Really, ever right. since he burst on the scene, it was like Josh yeah. Hader's going to get traded, and it finally yeah. kind of happens out of nowhere. Um, but it's so easy to overreact to bad stretches from relievers because their ERAs go from 1.6 to 8.9 in the blink of an eye, and you're like, wow, this guy's falling apart. But we saw down the stretch... Hater got his, his swagger back. I mean, he was awesome again. Um, he's very clearly going to be the closer in San Diego. Um, and I, I don't really see a reason not to go. And it was a team that almost went to the World Series. They're going to win a lot of games. I want my closers to be on good teams. And now I've got two of the best teams in, in baseball's closers. Yeah. I mean, Josh Hader should be much better than the 522 ERA 120 whip. Do not, do not let that 120 whip send you in another direction. <laughs> We saw he was much better by the playoff time after his complicated uh, welcoming of his uh, child. Should be all good to go. San Diego is a winning team. Yeah, he's going to get a lot of saves. He even had four. He was fourth in the majors last year with 36, regardless of everything. So that's what you draft him for. Respectator. Carlos Correa, 11th round. You needed a shortstop. And I think you got like the last good one. Yeah. I, I was in a race with Scott Chu, or at least I thought I was. I don't know if he was actually looking at Correa, but man, <laughs> you looked at the shortstop board and I was like, oh my God, after Carlos Correa, what is happening at this position? And then the right. playoffs unfolded and Jeremy Pena looked <laughs> amazing and won World Series MVP. So, you know, is Correa in the 11th that much better than getting Pena in the 15th? I actually don't know about that, um, but mm-hmm. it is interesting going through this draft, you know, my first draft of 2023, like realizing whoa something something happens to shortstop this position that we all think is super deep it does get to a point where uh you know things begin to fall off because actually Pena wasn't even the next one to go Ahmed Rosario was but then after Pena I mean Adalberto Mondesi Nico Horner who I actually kind of like but I don't know if I want him to be my starting shortstop type situation so there is a a drop off there and you know maybe Correa signs with the Rockies in his 45 home runs who knows (laughs) never (laughs) absolutely not a chance are you sure not to block ezekiel tovar they might consider yeah, right <laughs> um oh god i just don't want it to be a yankee i'll tell you that um, really yankees are i want yankees to sign trey turner um okay what about yeah. judge judge no they shouldn't sign judge 
Whoa. Yeah. yeah, they shouldn't sign Judge. We all know this. We all okay. every New Yorker inherently knows this because it's it's like for three seasons. Yeah. Um, and then it's a disaster. Yeah. And then we'll just look back on it and be like, oh gosh, what have we done? And the problem is if you're not spending it there, then you gotta get Turner. You gotta get something else. But this is not what we're talking about today. Carlos <laughs> Correa, I uh, 26 home runs in 2021, 22 in 22. Look at him. He played 136 games, and health is always a question with Correa. Uh, he's not really been this pinnacle of good health through his career. He did play 58 games in the shortened season, 148 in 2021, but it's always been diminished in some fashion. Seems like he should be good and safe wherever he goes. If you're spending on Correa this offseason, that means that you have a good team that wants Correa during the window of success. I wouldn't be shocked if the Dodgers got him, in which there's no way he's going at this point in the draft. So I like this. I think you get a seal of approval 11th round to get your shorts up and feel good about it. Yeah, that's that's cool. And for the injury stuff, honestly, 12 teamers, you'll find some shortstop that shows up. But there are a lot of very intriguing young players that become shortstops now nowadays. It's like there's always a new shortstop. Yeah, or somebody uh, called up. and yeah. Right, and just, okay, if you really need that, you'll be able to fill something in with it. I think you'll be happy. 11th round, Correa, seal of approval, love that. You've gotten three so far. I could give you one for Gosman, but it's just right on the edge of it. Uh, I'm not going to do it. Reese Hoskins, 12th round. Uh, you got to fill some first base. You don't even have a first baseman. Oh, man. And uh, Reese Hoskins is your choice. Why is that? Yeah, so it actually earlier, um, I think I, I was I was messaging Chad about what to do with this pick. I was like, you know, I'm at the position where unbelievable. <laughs> I messaged him and I was like, you know, should I get Correa and then have a disaster at first base or should I take Hoskins and have a disaster at shortstop? Um, I ended up getting both, which I was, I was pretty happy about. Um, Hoskins is just a, a, a quietly strong producer. Um, he needed a lot of plate appearances to hit that 30 homer plateau, uh, but he got it. 672 plate appearances, 30 home runs. Gotta love the lineup. Gotta love the park context. Um, I, I think he gives you just kind of what you kind of expect from a run of the mill starting worthy first baseman. And that as long as the rest of your roster is fine, that that's good. And and you don't need to necessarily hit a home run with every single pick. As long as you have consistent production across the board. Um, I, I, he's, he's unexciting, but he fits the mold here and made it so that I did not have a disaster at first base. And then I ended up taking three first basemen over the course of six rounds. So he's pretty well insulated. Should anything happen to uh, his production? <laughs> there are a lot of fun later on first baseman, you yeah. know, but none of them that you really want to say, this is my guy. Unless it's Reese uh, Hoskins. Unless it's Reese Hoskins, of course. <laughs> um, so some of you might know that we calculate fly balls a little bit differently than other sites. Um, and regardless, his, fly ball rate has dropped for three straight seasons from 54% to 48% to just 41. And those are definitive fly balls. Um, not these like line drives that are almost fly balls kind of things that you see on other sites. And normally when you see that, oh, better average then, right? More ground balls, more line drives. No, 246. <laughs> uh, it's It's been 245 or 246 for over the last five seasons, believe it or not. Uh, he's the new Chris Davis in this way. <laughs> and don't don't say that yeah right well k <laughs> which is good oh okay um, yeah, yeah. right because it's 247 right that's right um yep. but i but yeah i mean i get it you, you you should feel okay having reese hoskins in that lineup if harper's gone maybe it's a little bit worse but 
Maybe some of these Phillies hitters are improving. Maybe Castellanos isn't as bad. Maybe they go and get someone else uh, to fill a void as well. A lot of Bogarts uh, rumors over there. In yeah, Philly. right. Exactly. Uh, so, so we'll see how that progresses. But right, you got kind of the last one that I would feel like, okay, this is fine. I'm actually a believer in Mountcastle and Drury a little bit um, with a touch of Jose Miranda and Manessas. Um, but uh, it's fine. You're not going to feel like, oh, no, I have a horrible first baseman, Reese Hoskins. You might actually in April. Who knows how the month goes? But <laughs> for the full year, it should be all right. Um, any last thoughts on Reese Hoskins? Uh, no, I mean, his production has in, in more than one way gone down the last three years. Um, I can't remember the the stat that you brought up, but his strikeout rate has gotten worse in the last three years as well. Mm. Um, but I still think he, his, he profiles as someone with a pretty safe floor. Um, and, uh, you know, you brought up the Mountcastle and Drury. I, I think Drury's skill set's actually kind of safe, so I think he'll be okay for what he is. I'm less enthusiastic about Mountcastle, especially with the ballpark change. That was a disaster yeah, that's, for so that's many a very guys. Good, yeah, very um, good point there. So I feel good about, about Hoskins there. Nice. So the next two picks are both pitchers. All right. Jack yeah. Flaherty is a risky one. We don't know what we're going to get. I was more inclined to think, hey, Jack Flaherty, once he's healthy, he's good, but just wasn't healthy again. And 13th round, you're willing to take a chance here. Yeah, I finally felt like, you know, I can, I can take a risk. Like my first three starters are super reliable. Um, I expect to honestly get close to 200 innings, which you almost never say out of all three of them, which is absurd. And yeah. I think that could definitely help supplement any injuries that, that Flaherty experienced. And it's easy to forget just how ridiculous of a second half. What was it? His 2019 was the last time he had a prolonged um, um, time of success. I'm trying to bring it up right yeah, now. No, but it was, 2019. I remember he had about a four year array entering June. And then it and was then just end of the year at 275. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was him and you, Darvish. I mean, in the second half, both of them were just completely untouchable. And it's it's not like, you know, here in 2023, I'm like, oh, remember what he did in 2019 for half of a season. Like, that's not yeah, right, good right. methodology. But at the same time, it does remind you of the skill and the ability and, and the ceiling of Jack Flaherty. Um, and he's just 27 years old. So seeing him here, knowing I had a pretty strong foundation for my rotation i felt i felt pretty good about taking jack flaherty there yeah in 2021 when he did pitch in the first half he was normal jack flaherty and then the shoulder thing happened and he came back in relief and then the series showed up and yeah this wasn't jack flaherty so i hope he's okay um he's part of this huge group of guys to me that are hey are you all right Frankie Montas, Dustin May, Lucas Giolito's in there, Kenta Maeda's in there, Mike Soroka, Charlie Morden, where we know that they can be amazing. Michael Kopech. They're not necessarily in the same tier, but just the same mentality for me. Chris Sale, Lance McCullers, Pablo Lopez. I just want them to be fine. (laughs) And I don't know if they are. I mean, you can even put Tyler Malley in there too. So this is where we started to see a lot of those guys go. Jack Flaherty is one of them. The good thing about this is that I say this often, you'll know what to expect when it happens, right? I doubt you'll see a situation where Flaherty is pitching. He's like 92 or 93 and just mediocre or bad. Right. I would imagine if he's healthy and out there, he's going to be above average and you're going to like it. Um, or if he's not, it won't last very long. you will go on the IL and you'll kind of know what to do. So there's a benefit to that. Uh, I think at this point I would have taken Flaherty. So 
I'm he's I'm, also getting a little bit of a discount, you think? Because didn't they kind of rush him back and, and it was his doing? He was like, No, I'm ready to go. So I wanna I wanna pitch yeah. for the Cardinals. It was I a super know. short it was a super short disabled or um uh, injured uh, list stint, I think. Yeah, it's yeah, it just I don't know. It's just complete yeah. mystery. Um now the fourteenth round, I don't know if I'm going to do this one. You might have missed him in the playoffs because the Houston Astros did not trust him whatsoever, and that's Luis Garcia. Uh, how do you feel about this pick? Not great. You know, in retrospect, I, I once again, I was kind of going for like, all right, I've taken safe pitchers. Let's get another guy who's going to should be a decent producer and wins, and at least he's going to go out there every fifth day. Um, I wish I took another risk, you know, seeing names go off after there, like Reed Detmers, yeah. Charlie Morton. Yeah, Sorry. like I... I no, that's okay. That it, that was worthy of that reaction because Luis Garcia is just so not exciting, right? Like even if everything breaks right for him, is he going to make my team great now? No, not really. And because I spent so much time drafting safe floors, I wish I was I, I took another mm. risk there. Um, with that said, I don't I don't think it's like a game changer pick in 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 the other direction. It's just I got Luis Garcia. Right. So right now, the rotation for the Astros definitively is Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Lance McCullers, Jose Urquidy. We know that. Then Justin Verlander, question mark. Um, Hunter Brown, Luis Garcia are there. It was a six-man rotation through the entire season. I would imagine the Astros get somebody for depth in there too. And it might mean that we have more question marks about Luis Garcia entering the season once again. So... That is also an element to it. There's there's something also to really think about that I haven't done enough of where teams skip their fifth guy often in April. Hmm. And the more that you can avoid uh, having the fifth starter on a team out of the gate, it's kind of nice sure. because then you get an extra starter to it and you can make those decisions. Instead, there, there are times you have a guy who hasn't even pitched yet and you've already dropped him because someone else is just so definitively better. And I've had to make changes on the list before someone else does because some guy did really well. I said, well, I expect this guy now to do better than what I expect of the one who hasn't pitched. Does that make sense? Yeah. So don't put yourself in that situation if you can avoid it. And it, it has me saying, all right, if the guy's a number five, I'm maybe putting him at the very end of mine. But if I'm debating between two guys to go for and one of them is a number four, one of them is a number five. I'll go for the number four uh, just for that. Luis Garcia is going to be the five at best right now for the Astros. Um, something else to consider uh, with him. Otherwise, I mean, the slider goes in and out. Cutter is sometimes there. Uh, sometimes it's not. Only a 57% strike rate on it, which is really low. He relies heavily on the four seam, actually increased it, thus uh, that usage at times in the season. Um, but then brought it back down. He went back and forth. Sometimes he uses curveball more, and this curveball is not a good pitch. And I remember going through this going, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop that. Get out of here. See, this uh, is why it's it's helpful to not know that much about pitching because I'm just like, oh, that was a bad pitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that Garcia, it's worked, but it's so fragile. It's so, so precarious to me. And you're going, Nick, what the heck? He's not has not a season uh with a uh, whip worse than 120. I don't know how to say below, no, above, above, above 120. Uh he hasn't had an ERA uh above 375, and yet you're you're out. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think the Astros have faith in him. So if the and if club doesn't have faith in a guy, then I think that should tell you 
uh, a lot. Um, we're going to move on, though, to the next round where you took, oh, Tristan Casas. Tell us about him. Yeah, best player taken in the draft. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> Ted Williams Jr. No, he's, uh, huh. I'm, I'm really excited about Cassis. Um, he struggled a little bit when he got called up, but I wish I had the exact statistic because I keep referencing this and I definitely keep getting it wrong. But it was something like no player or, or only five players in MLB history had the same amount of, uh, or, or at least so many walks and so many home runs as Tristan Cassis had through their first 70 plate appearances. Like this guy has been like, we, I, I said Reese oh, Hoskins baseball. is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. What a terrible statistic that yeah. was. But <laughs> but he's on a list, right? He's on a he's on a very short list. Um, but no, more seriously, I, I kind of view him as like a uh, more exciting version of of what the final five by five numbers I'd expect out of Reese Hoskins. Right. I think I can mm-hmm. maybe increase the ceiling a little bit for Cassis and roll the dice there. And, and maybe I get something better where he's just your typical first base. Right. I'm not going to get any stolen bases. He might hit between 250 and 260. But is there. 30 to 40 homer potential there. Yeah, obviously. Um, and if he kind of fills that JD Martinez role, finds himself batting in the middle of a lineup that has Devers for now and <laughs> Trevor story, and who knows what that's going to look like come April. I think it'll look pretty good. Um, then I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, I clearly, I wasn't excited enough at this point about my first base situation. Cause I still ended up taking another one. Um, yeah. but Cassis, there's a, there's a lot of upside there that, uh, He's no longer the exciting prospect because we've seen him. And once you see a prospect, they're not exciting anymore. Not it's like at once all. You drive Absolutely a, not. Yeah. Once yeah, you drive a car off the lot, it loses all its value. Once yeah, a, right? Yeah. But the Trevor Huth runs away at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Tristan Cassis, sure, why not? Right? We don't know where he's going to fit into that lineup in uh, in Boston. There's clearly talent there that hasn't been fully realized. 197 average this year is going to turn a lot of people away. It shouldn't. It's just 100 plate appearances. Uh, he walks a lot. You love to see that discipline. Only 10% swing strike rate. It should get better for him. And I'm curious what you see in Boston. I mean, is it too early in the 15th round? There's an argument to be made there. Uh, but at the same time, you're kind of getting the guys that you like. And uh, I'm no, I have no real issue with that. I'm trying to see like the rest of the draft. Like, is there? I mean, I think there's more definitive value in pitching, surprisingly, still on the board um, that I wouldn't personally go for something like this. Considering also there's like so many weird, you got one in the 19th round. I really liked uh, there's like Ty France, there's Spencer Torkelson and I Manessas, as I mentioned, even Miguel Vargas and Jared Walsh. And there's a lot of really interesting hitters to go for. So 15th might be slightly too early, but if you really like him, then by all means get your guy at this point, because we've gotten to the point in the draft where you're going to be dropping at least half of these, before season end everyone knows this so it's time to take chances i mean this is your i guess your util at this point uh he ended up gets yeah uh uh util always gets swapped in season so all right tristan cassis uh brandon nimmo is next and oh man we are going long on this podcast uh (laughs) brandon nimmo where is he gonna play and does it matter to you as you took him in the 16th round uh, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, it, less exciting in five by five than in a points league, right? Um, but the two teams that have seemed to be getting the most rumors are Colorado and Toronto, and I think either one would be awesome. So yeah, I'm, right. I'm pretty happy with Nimmo there. Yeah, sure. And tell us more about Nimmo, what you expect from him next year. 
Well, I mean, depending on where he is, I, he's going to bat at the top of the lineup almost regardless of where he is. So he's a total volume kind of guy. And at this point in the draft, if I could secure something like that, somebody who's going to get consistent plate appearances, not only is he an on-base machine, but a lefty as well. Um, I feel pretty good about that. Um, and and my outf- outfield is not that deep. Nick. It's just, it's no, just it not. A, I hadn't it really taken isn't. an outfielder since the second round. Um, so I guess technically he's now my my third outfielder. In just a three outfield league, if it was deeper, I maybe would have taken more outfielders early. But sure. um, he's going to be a steady producer of runs. He shouldn't kill you on average. Um, showed a tiny little bit of pop last year. And if it's Toronto or Colorado, all that much better. Yeah, it's just a little eight ounce Pepsi. Um, yeah. A little bit of pop. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, Brandon Nimmo, 102 runs last year. Right. It's something insane, and that's a big product of his uh, 367 on base percentage and batting first for the Mets. Really is important that he goes to another club that allows him to bat lead off. Um, I don't expect him to go 102 runs again. He is the primo outfield free agent after Judge, which is kind of crazy. kind of wild. Yeah, health has always been the issue too um, through his career. And it's really nice to see 151 games. That's going 92 in 2021, just 69 in 2019. So I, I don't have too much faith in Nimmo. It's your third outfielder, third outfield of all the positions, easiest one to fill because I mean, 12 teamers, is 36 or so. And it's just, all right, we should be able to find those. And also, right. honestly, I think you have one that you're probably going to start more than Brandon Nimmo. And they got later in the draft. So I'm personally likely not going after Nimmo unless I felt, oh, no, I really do need run totals because he's mentioned. I mean, 16 home runs, 64 RBI, three stolen bases. Uh, those aren't going to really do a whole lot for you, um, especially in a 12 teamer. So I don't know if I'm going to side with Nimmo. But yeah, if he goes to course, OK, fine. Then I'm I'm cool with it. Oh, I mean, I gloves really, are off at that point. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much I would jump at it. I mean, I would actually... I would like the platoon. That's just generally what you're supposed to do with a Colorado guy, right? You start him at home and not on the road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so still something to be said about that. Uh, next round, you got another util, and that's Josh Bell. We don't know where he's going to go, but he just does things. <laughs> 70 runs, 71 RBI, 17 home runs, 266 average this year, and about 650 plate appearances. A little bit obviously disappointing with the home run total, but only a 16% K rate. As his ground balls, oh, they went back up again. Um, I mean, they're at 52%, slightly better, I should say, in the fly ball total than the 36% we saw in 2019. He's still down at 27% for us. That's preventing all of those home runs. It was 37 home runs in 2019. We really haven't seen the same fly ball rate since. And the home run fly ball rate, according to us, just 14% after it was 29% in 2021. So he's really struggling uh, to get that proper lift in the ball. Are you hoping for some sort of resurgence wherever he lands? Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. It'd be good for him. He needs a, a restart after he went to the Padres last year because yeah. um, the, the numbers just fell off. He was doing okay. He was actually in my my pitcherless bold prediction article before the season. I predicted him to have the most RBI in baseball. Um, Josh Bell is a, a bona fide keeper cut favorite uh, by both me and Chad. And the thinking was basically, if you have Juan Soto hitting in front of you, you're going to have a lot of opportunities for RBI. Um, and he was a guy who's produced at a high level before. And not he for went seasons, to San Diego but, with him too. He like he couldn't avoid. No, him. that's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what a bad problem for him. Um, but yeah, no, he. It was just more like, oh wow, Josh Bell's still here, and I still don't feel great about my first base situation. So why don't I just throw a bunch of darts as opposed to just one and bring in a guy who could end up somewhere where he's he's better than we expected. 
Yeah, I, I I hope so. I mean, look, Josh Bell has just been, especially in an odd new league, it's like, that's production. You know, it's it's there. Roto leagues, I like him more. I think head-to-head, I want more, especially in this 12-teamer, than sure. holding on Josh Bell for the year. But that's not the worst Monday-Thursday swapping. Um, and how I normally do head-to-head is I focus on pitchers from my bench spots in April and touch of May. Then I go heavy into filling in Monday and Thursday. I, I focus on utility guys at that point off the waiver wire just to ensure I have as many plate appearances per week. While I should have a good rotation by then. My design is, guys, we got this. Focus on April in and May and just hope that you don't lose Lazardo and Tyler McGill on the same day. <laughs> oh, man. Yep. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to be sour about that forever. I should, you know, I should still be able to rebound from that. But still, I thought I had, I thought I was done. I was leaning back, feet up, <laughs> cruising. All right. Um. So after that was DJ LeMayhew. Speaking of a rebound, I were hoping that DJ LeMayhew, 125 games, 541 plate appearances, just 12 home runs, really lost that power after that 26 home run season in 2019. And really just has not been that absurd OBP guy that we saw before 375 and 421 in 19 and 20 but then dropped down to 349 357 is good but it's not the DJ LeMahieu we wanted runs were still there 74 runs 46 RBI if Judge leaves what do we expect from DJ LeMahieu yeah I mean he's definitely a counting stats kind of guy but I absolutely love DJ LeMahieu <laughs> um you know last year you brought up the on base percentage but his walk rate was actually i believe a career high and the babip was down at 285 which is honest exactly 50 points below his career average which is obviously inflated a little bit because of cores but um he still posted some absurd babips with the yankees um so i wouldn't be shocked if he came back to that because this is not a skill set that like ages poorly right i right. mean he's he's not a guy who hits the ball all that hard he's just a great contact hitter um, he can pull the ball. He can raise the ball in the air, get it out of that that little league stadium, even though he's not, you know, really aiming it at right field. So, like, I, even if they don't bring back Judge, we know the Yankees are going to replace Judge with something, whether it's Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, or whoever. Um, I'm never going to be afraid of like, oh no, I have I have this hitter in the Yankees lineup. Like, it's never going to be a concern for me. And right, he profiles sure. as someone who, when healthy, is going to be batting towards the top of the lineup. I guess the only question is age health was an issue last year and now you have all these young guys coming up in the yankee system dj lemay is never going to dh he's not a dh kind of guy unless it's on a team that's not contending um so could play time become an issue maybe um but if dj lemay is healthy i am very excited about dj lemay uh so to get him here in the 18th round that's one of my favorite picks of the draft mm. yeah I, I do think there's not a chance josh donaldson is the opening day third baseman for the yankees despite what cashman said it's lemay uh, with likely them messing around with Peraza and Torres and maybe Volpe or someone that they signed for between the middle infield. Now you have Rizzo at first base, so you don't even need LeMahieu there. Uh, it's not Donaldson. Guys, I'm just telling you right now, it is not Donaldson. It's just discussion. We're saying, they said that Gio Urshela was their starting shortstop, right? Oh, God, I hope like, it's Donaldson so bad. I'm sorry. Pete, please, Pete, keep it together. <laughs> All right. Um, so so LeMahieu should be in that lineup. And I I, I love the idea of it. I, I feel like DJ LeMahieu should be just this rock in that Yankee lineup that is, I think, honestly, for the Yankees, was a huge missing piece in their postseason push. In it was, September, for sure. Um, that we just kind of forget about. 
I so I, I like it and I do I do wonder how much of his eligibility is still intact. I, I should know this as a good host of this, what his eligibility is. And I can tell you right now, it is third base, second base, and first base. And that's Huge. my kind of guy to get as I'm talking about the Monday, Thursday slot in um, to be able to fill in one of those three of that infield. I'm going to give you still approval for that. I think DJ LeMahieu should be on all your 12 teamers um, getting in this late in the draft where you actually have someone you are not going to let go. He's going to take a bench spot at the very least. Um, I think that's pretty cool. You should have one of those and you got <laughs> one. Uh, now, Riley Green, 19th. I really like this one too. If you want to take a shot at someone, Riley Green was someone we were talking about last year. Like, hey, this is going to be really interesting. Did not have nearly the kind of season we want. Same with Torkelson in Detroit. Five home runs and 418 plate appearances, a 29% K rate, 253 average. What do you see? Are you just kind of hoping, look, he's 22. We got to think that this kid is going to you know, really seize the spotlight at some point. I mean, that's that's basically it because he really didn't show that much last year. Like, There's not a whole lot that you can sink your teeth into and be like, well, here's what happened. That's That's not there. He just frankly really underperformed. Um, our expectations but like I mean like you said it he's 22 years old like I, yeah it is he gonna be that much better in his 23 year old season I don't know um but I I expect him to be better and he's just uh he's another dart throw I I didn't feel great about the pick I know you liked it um but he really didn't show anything and and seeing yeah. how much young guys have struggled getting called up like the the Julio Rodriguez's are getting more and more rare very rarely are guys coming up and lighting the world on fire and Riley Green just kind of felt like another name in the mix of oh yeah you know Riley Green's up but he's underperforming so you should have gone Harrison Bader is what you're saying uh <laughs> the Babe Ruth of the postseason yes, yeah maybe exactly yeah <laughs> I mean is there someone else that you actually did um after you took this Riley Green you saw him go off the board and you went oh man I should have gone for him uh, no, I, I had my last round pick in my queue the whole time, but I knew nobody was going to take him. So <laughs> um, I just figured, screw it. I'll, I'll take Riley Green. All right. So Tyler Anderson went next and he just signed with the Los Angeles Angels. A little disappointing, I imagine, after you took him uh, Tyler Anderson in the 20th round. Big season this year from Tyler Anderson after never having a season better than a 437 ERA. All of a sudden, a 257, 15 wins for the Dodgers. A one whip, 19.5% K rate, but across 179 innings, incredible to say the least. And was, you know, does this really change it? If you go back now and say, oh, he's an angel, am I not going to take Tyler Anderson at this point? No, I, I honestly, I think I, it felt like he was a victim of the pre-rankings that we were using that, that maybe we just kind of forgot about the super unexciting Tyler Anderson, but you know the skill set is is he doesn't throw very hard, but he limits hard contact and and goes deep in outings. And so in five by five, if I can get that this late, am I expecting his twenty twenty two production? No, of course not. And I don't think anybody should be drafting Tyler Anderson expecting him to do with the Angels what he did with the Dodgers last season. But um, I feel pretty good about that this late. Safe innings. Uh, maybe I didn't take you know looking at it now. Maybe I didn't take enough risks with my rotation. Uh, if, if I'm still taking quote unquote safe pitchers, if there's a such thing like Tyler Anderson. Um, so if I have a regret, it's that, but it's not necessarily the player. It's more the strategy. Right. Yeah. Tyler Anderson increases chain of usage uh, a ton this past year from 25% to 32%. And it's swing strike rate all the way to 21% um, from 15, 
which is huge. It did such wonders for him. Brought his hard contact on the pitch down to 13%. I'm going to stop saying percent, I swear. And <laughs> four-seamer and cutter were just strike pitches. They were good enough. And that was it. That That's the world. You know, his his overall BABIP was 257 because of the Dodgers' defense. Uh, and I, I mean, that's how he did what he did. I don't buy it. I, I, I'm happy his changeup was much better. His four-seamer went down in swing strike rate. They allowed more hard contact this year. Uh, his cutter, yeah, I, I mean, it allowed more balls in play. It went his way. A little bit better hard contact reduction. Still really good. 18% is really good uh, hard contact rate, but or 19% rather. I just, he's going to have a worse strikeout rate in my view. He's going to have a worse whip. He's going to have a worse ERA. He's going to have fewer wins. How far, I don't know. But generally, whenever we play this game, people say, oh, well, if you look at his FIP, you know, like 331, if he does that, then like then everything's fine. It doesn't work like this. He can't just like <laughs> never does average it. It's like, well, if it gets worse, how much worse, though? It's like, well, it just doesn't it doesn't work like that. So, I mean, if you get a 120 whip and a 390 array or something for your 15 teamers, that's great. For your 12 teamers, it's not. And uh, it's not going to stick around. He'll be an easy cut pretty right. early in the season. If yeah, that's you'll the be case. able to keep or cut him. And uh, I got you. I got that good little, subtle, that was good. little yeah. subtle plug for you, <laughs> Pete. Now, Tyler Anderson, to me, is too much of a Toby for me to draft him. Personally, at the same time, I mean, how many guys am I getting at this point Sure. Uh, that are still on the board? Bailey Ober is the one, I think. That I'm like, all right, that, that's the one to go. I mean, I went for Sixto Sanchez and Nathan Evaldi. But in the 20th round, hey, we're talking about fourth, fifth starters Tyler Anderson's going to be pitching likely the opening weekend. Uh, if that's the case, Otani, Otani, Sandoval, and and Anderson, I think, at this point. Sorry, Patch. Uh, sorry, Reed Detmers. So that's a benefit. And maybe he does, uh, you know, he performs well in that game. I actually should know who the Angels are playing in that first one. I did this whole thing. And I have an answer for you. They're going to be playing Oakland. So that should be good for Tyler Anderson. So maybe I'm, I'm hating too much on that pick in the 20th round. I think I would stream him for that. So why not? Solid pick. Eric Lauer, 21st round. <laughs> Talk to me about him. Yeah. Uh, on the note of unexciting, uh, I took Eric Lauer in the 21st <laughs> round. Uh, I, I just keep thinking back to that stretch he went on at the end of April and beginning of May where it was like, I know, so fun. Yeah. Like, whoa, where's this coming from? Uh and, you know, you brought this up a few rounds ago that a lot of the guys that we draft at this point are going to be dropped. But I could see Eric Lauer being the type of player to get off to a little bit of a hot start, start generating some strikeouts and maybe get me some some decent outings. Is he the fifth guy in Milwaukee, though, which now brings up that question that you were you were asking earlier, because they've got Peralta, they've got Woodruff, they've got Burns. You know, I'd put him ahead of Hauser if Hauser's even still there. I don't know if he's a free agent or not. Yeah, Aaron Ashby, I think, is going to be in that, too. So I would put Lauer right, likely for at sure. four. Okay. Um, so then I guess that makes him a little bit more safe. Uh, I felt like I just needed another starting pitcher. I couldn't bring myself to take, uh, um, Jose Barrios. I wanted to see how far he dropped, you know, part of doing a mock mm-hmm. is seeing where players go. And he just kept, because obviously as folks know, we were using the 2022 rankings because the 2023 ones hadn't existed yet. Jose Barrios was like at the top of the board for basically the entire draft and then right. went after Eric Lauer. So it was kind of exciting to watch if it was a for real draft, you know, maybe I do take Berrios there, but I, I don't really feel that passionately about that. 
Um, and I, I kind of want to see what, what Eric Lauer has, but I'm more interested to see and what you think, what was, was that just a flash in the pan from Lauer there at the end of April and beginning of May, or is there something here? Is there something well, brewing here? His fastball velocity did go up. If you remember, I, I was incredibly excited about a Lauer at the beginning of the year. Fastball velocity was 94 as opposed to the 92.5, which was already an increase from the 91.5. Um, so he went, essentially he's gone up a tick each year, um, which is cool. And that four-seamer had a 14.5% swing strike rate, okay. which we thought kind of was maybe fluky in 2021, but that stuck around. The problem is, that, I mean, I think he lost his, uh, his slider and curve a bit. They both got hit. Well, the slider got hit a lot harder. Curveball, not so much. And there were nights when the cur- the four-seamer would go like four whiffs, and the next one would go like 13 whiffs, and then would be like five whiffs. And it's like, what is... I don't Who like is this. Who is this guy? <laughs> um, it, it is, it's not fun at all. I have some bad news for you. Uh, he's going to be the four for Milwaukee, and he's going to face the Mets first, which I don't know if I want to start up well for that one. No, uh, I, uh, yeah, it doesn't. That doesn't seem like a fun game. So that it's it's at the point of the draft that I think it's really important to actually focus on. Am I starting this guy the first weekend? Because if I'm not, then I'm saying this is a stash play, and. If I am, then great. Cool. You got to start for the opening weekend. Then you can do that, drop them, move on or whatever. But plan that opening weekend. I think it's so important, especially if you're in a league that has limited moves too. You definitely. Oh, killed me last year. There's one, there's one league I play in that was four moves from the your draft until the Sunday of the first game. So like... Like I, I we draft like a week, yeah. You draft a week before, and like you have IL spots, so you have like two open spots already to to do. Yeah, there goes. And then you me. have, and then you have like three games, and then you make your first. I'm like, oh my god. Oh. <laughs> and there's things that come out like the Wednesday or Tuesday before, and it's just, oh man, I can't deal with that one. <laughs> that one drives me nuts. Uh, but right, so so Eric Lauer, I get it completely. Um. I'm not buying the consistency right now. It could click in and there he is. He's just soaring. And how did we forget about this guy? Oh my God, Eric Lauer. Of course, 360, 90 ERA, 122 whip, 24% K rate. He's so close, right? Mm-hmm. And it's totally possible. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. I, man, we are, we are, we are pushing it in this one. I love it. Uh, two picks left. Oh, it's Tanner Houck. Good to see you. How you doing? I love Tanner Houck. So anybody that's listened to well, Keeper he loves Cut, you. I I hope so. Um, <laughs> Tanner, I this dude when he first got called up was absolutely filthy. He made three starts for the Red Sox two years ago. It was against Atlanta, Miami, and the Yankees, and he just looked nasty in all of them. He yeah. won the pitcherless nastiest pitch award with his slider. There is a piece on MLB.com comparing him, basically saying he's the right-handed Chris, Chris Sale, Dale, and that's what. Yep. The, Hype got out of control, um, and he, he had a little bit of a command issue um, this most recent season, and that, that it continues to bite him. Where the walks combined with the lack of depth in his arsenal uh, really leads him to only seeing a lineup twice when he goes through it. So much so that they just took him out of the rotation, and he ended up being a pretty serviceable closer. Um, but although this announcement came after the draft, it was announced uh, earlier this week or last week that the Red Sox want both Whitlock and Houck to be in the rotation, which honestly is just great news because I, I, I think both of them still have too much potential to just say, hey, we do this so much in baseball. Like, oh, he's going to be a reliever for his career. 
I, this dude has been around for barely a cup of coffee. Like, can we give him a little bit of a run as a starting yeah. pitcher? Um, it's, I'm, I'm super excited about how I think he, I think there's plenty of upside there. It's the type of pick I'm looking to make at this point after being so safe with my rotation throughout the draft. And even though I wouldn't expect a hefty innings total in the innings he gives me, I do think I'm going to get a lot of strikeouts. So if the wins aren't there, if the rates aren't that great, at the very least, I do expect to get a lot of strikeouts out of Hauk. Um, and, and I think he's a, I think he's, he's a pretty decent upside swing in round 22. Hauk is so interesting to me. I talk about this with two pitch pitchers saying, okay, you gotta, if you throw two pitches, they both have to be exceptional, right? Slider, we know that. We know that, look, this pitch is filthy. We know it's a filthy pitch. It should do better than I think it does. Um, I took a major step back this past year, 21% hard contact as opposed to the sub 10% marks it did in his first two years. Um, swing striker, it was fine at 16%. You expect a little bit better, but kind of like Chris Sales was never, well, Chris Sales was fine at like a 17%, just got a lot of called strikes too. High CSW, 34%, fine. I I wonder about his heaters. Um, I, I sit in bed at night and I wonder about Tanner Houck's fastballs. Um, <laughs> Who does this? Yeah, right. The sinker had a 17% swing strike rate in 2021 in those uh, 13 or 18 games that he played, just under 70 innings. And then it came down to 14%. It has a low called strike rate, uh, 13% as opposed to the league average on a sinker is 20%. Traditionally, when you have a sinker, you get your strikes either from foul balls and um, outs in play off the plate that are inside same handedness or that are just taken in the zone. It's really rare to get your strikes from whiffs. It's just not traditionally what happens. But that's what Hawk does um, with his high O swing, 38%, which is really good. 28% league average for O-swing on sinkers. High ground ball rate on it. But a ton of hard contact, 32%. And that, I think, is everything for him. Can he have a heater that really solidifies and gets the strikes he needs? 64.5%, I think he needs closer to 68 or 70 for then the 60% strike rate of the slider to really soar, right? Think of Fran Valdez. His strike rate is on a sinker is much higher. Uh, not, not not too much. I know like 70%, but I think it's like 65. Like, okay, cool. All right, you're good. Um, I, or a little bit higher than that, actually. But anyway, four-seamer, not that exceptional for, for Tanner Houck either. Uh, allows a pretty average amount of hard contact, below average swing strike rate on it. So something needs to get fixed for him to be a long starter, a guy that goes six innings. So he seems like a five-and-dive at the moment. Now, you made a good point about, hey, maybe Tanner Houck, look, he's been up for a cup of coffee, hasn't really gotten the opportunities to, let him figure it out. I think that's great. I think the Red Sox should be doing that with Whitlock and Bayo and Houck. And then you have Chris Sale and then, I guess, what, Nick Pavetta or Michael? No, not even Michael Walker. Pavetta, you're going to have Paxton back at $4 million and, Are you, uh, though? <laughs> I, I hope so, man. I'm, I was so excited when they yeah. made that move. I was like, hell yeah, James Paxton, let's go. Forgetting know, that like he doesn't actually exist. So long, he doesn't exist. He's a glitch yeah. in the Matrix. Um, but Evaldi's probably coming back too. So it could be actually a kind of a short leash. If if right. how looks like the same guy, he's going to go right back to the bullpen because he was so valuable there. You might even see him in the minors if they say, look, we want you to be a starter. We just don't, oh, don't say that. Uh, no, you, I, the room. I understand it. Um, maybe six, <laughs> maybe it's a six man rotation with the health of Paxton and the young guys and um, Chris sale. sale, making sure he's fine. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so I, I'm okay with taking him late like this. I think that's really cool. 
uh, especially when you're saying, hey, he's going to be in the rotation. Cool. 22nd round, fine. Like, who cares? And if he's killing it in the spring, we all talk about Tanner Houck. And, oh, no, he's got this really nice breaking ball now or something. like, Or not, or a curveball or a changeup or something. The splitter actually is a real thing, not the 6% usage we saw. But, all right, there you go. So, cool pick there. Um, Brian De La Cruz was the guy that you were saying is in your queue and wasn't going to be taken. Tell us about him. Uh, uh, well, he like was like a league winner for me in a lot of leagues down the stretch. And I think he's a guy, he's kind of the typical kind of guy who flies under the radar late. The one that always comes to mind for me was Matt Harvey. Not that Matt Harvey was oh, not man. a hyped up prospect. He absolutely was. But before he completely broke out, he was called up the season before late in the season when I think a lot of teams, a lot of ca- more casual fantasy managers were you know tuned out. And so the Mets were out of it and Matt Harvey was called up and was dominant. And so if you were able to get him, you ended up with this this elite starter for a couple of seasons there. I'm not I want to be clear. I'm not I'm not projecting this kind of same trajectory for Brian De La Cruz. (laughs) But down the stretch, this dude, he still couldn't hit lefties, but he was unbelievable. Um, Multi hit games, home runs. He stole a few bases. And this late in the draft, particularly at a, at a position in outfield where like if anything happens to Nimmo, Harper or, or Julio and something has already happened to Harper, you know, my next in is Riley Green. I wanted to get somebody who I could feel pretty good about. Um, and I thought Dilla Cruz not only was was great down the stretch, not only is young and, and has the potential to get better, but I also think he'll probably move up in that Marlins lineup. If he does anything remotely similar to what he did down the stretch, I could see him immediately becoming like their cleanup hitter. Um, at least in a platoon role, because I don't know how much he's going to play against lefties with how much he struggles there. Uh, but that's a team that if you're hitting, they're going to play you because why wouldn't they? Um, and I could see Dilla Cruz putting up some some decent numbers next year. There's there's more pop in that bat than I think anybody figured, if anybody even knew who Brian Dilla Cruz was before <laughs> you know last uh, last August. Sure, yeah, Dilla Cruz is going to be 26 next year. He had 13 home runs and 355 plate appearances. 13th in the majors um, in IPA percentages, ideal uh, plate appearance. Um, that is essentially balls in play that are favorable to hitters. That's, yeah, 13th, uh, 32%. Uh, hard contact rate is 32.4% at 35. That's pretty dang cool. Uh, that's There might be something there underlying everything else that, that happens. Um, 25% K rate was 250th. You have walk rate at 5.4, which was 290 no. Still, uh, as your last pick, sure, you'll get rid of him right away if you want to. Right. Um, I, I dig it. Is it enough for a silver approval? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Could be. With that, I, that IPA percentage is pretty nice. I'll give it to you. Um, Sweet. But, uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, but all yeah, right. Why not? That's a fun, like, hey, that's a fun <laughs> circle one at the end. I mean, the last round, what is it? I had Sixto Sanchez. Like, whatever. Um, <laughs> so here we are. 23 rounds. We made it. I think this is the longest one we've done. Uh, what was your favorite team? It, well, I don't know if it is now after the Harper <laughs> news and you commit me out of Albies. True. And But we'll see. I want you to give a score of 1 to 23 about how you feel about this team. 1 to 23. Like a 23 is the highest? Yes. Okay. Um, I, I'm looking at my roster now, and there's a lot of players that oh, finally after then this entire podcast. <laughs> <finally> <laughs> <your> roster. <laughs> um, I would, I, I think I went a little too safe. I would say I would give my team, but I still feel really good about it. I'll give it a 20 out of 23. 20. That is the highest score we've seen. Why a 20? Uh, well, 
I covered my bases, no pun intended, in terms of position scarcity. And I think mm-hmm. position scarcity is going to be continue to become more and more of an issue, especially at positions like second base. There's no shift anymore, so you can't hide your Max Muncy's there. And everybody's heard that, but I think it's it's going to be a little bit more of a reality check than folks are expecting. Um, maybe I'm being a little too generous to myself because of my Bryce Harper pick kind of blowing up there. I obviously loved getting him that late, and, and now we're finding out he's going to miss some time. Um, but I just look at those first three starters, Alcantara, Gosman, Valdez. And I think about the fact that I really didn't commit to pitching too much. I didn't make it a huge priority and still ended up with maybe the best one through three. Um, you know, C Strider and Snell looks pretty good. There's definitely some good ones out there. Verlander, Fried and Bieber, but I would put my one through three up against anybody. Um, and to have that plus the bullpen in an offense that I'm happy about, I felt pretty good about this draft. Yeah. I, I'd probably say 18 or so. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know how, if I'm believing so much in Hoskins. I think you could have snuck one more starter because then after the three relying on Flaherty, Garcia, Anderson, Lauer does make you it does make you a little bit short change and you're not necessarily jumping for the kind of guys I would suggest um, to chase. Um, essentially, you don't want these guys as your three, four, five, really. You want to find something that is very exciting that can push and be your sp3s as well you want like a team of sp3s essentially right that's what you're trying to make um and garcia not so much tyler anderson's not going to do that eric lauer's not going to do that and you're hoping with jack flaherty so i would say that's your the weakest one you had opportunities you had spots in the draft i think you could have gone for those but that's just me being biased about starting pitching um but uh but otherwise i mean what you did with the closers was great uh you're hitting for the most part is really good uh, I love the Correa pick again in the 11th round. It just makes it all okay <laughs> um, that you took three or four pitchers. Could have been bad. Between Could the 6th and 10th. But, uh, but yeah, uh, that's going to do it for this draft. One more time, remind everybody where to find you on Twitter and what you're doing. Uh, sure. Yeah, you could follow me at, at Pete B Baseball um, if you just want like angry Celtics tweets every now and then. <laughs> um, I run the Keeper Cut podcast like we talked about with Chad Young. Chad's an excellent follow at, at Chad Young. We're publishing episodes every other Monday. We don't just talk Ot New. We certainly focus there, but your Keeper Leagues, your Dynasty Leagues, all those things we kind of touch upon. Um, so yeah, be on the lookout for Keeper Cut. Absolutely. That's people, everybody. And my name is Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week. 